I kind of think through some of these as like a companion to your career and you'll see different things in them over time. You know, but I would say that the, the books, they should illuminate things that you see in your work. Welcome to another episode of What's at Stake, a Penta podcast. I'm Andrea Christensen, a partner at Penta, and today we're kicking off 2023 with a unique episode talking about books and business books in particular. Anyone still on Twitter will have noticed that a lot of 2023 book recommendations and reading lists are going around. Today, Penta President Matt McDonald is joining me to discuss some of his reading recommendations for those interested in business, including young professionals, aspiring leaders, and experienced executives. You can find the full list of Matt's reading recommendations in today's show notes. Matt, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me, Andrea. So, you recently tweeted a thread of your favorite big business books that included Jim Collins's Good to Great, 10 Day MBA, and Alan Murray's Tomorrow's Capitalist. With all the business books that are out there, how did you think about curating this specific list? Um, you know, so I was unaware of the Twitter trend of book recommendations, or at least uh, it was it was not happening yet before I sent, put this out. I, I forget the I forget what prompted me to do this. Someone had asked me. People regularly ask me for business book recommendations, and I decided to kind of put together a compilation of them. I, when I was putting it together. Um, you know, I thought about the different books that I'd read on business over time, the ones that, that I kind of referred back to, or that I found to be particularly notable. And then the other thing that I tried to do in the list is it's, it's thought through from a timeline perspective of where you are in your career. Um, I just finished reading CEO excellence that, um, uh, some uh, McKinsey partners had put together kind of studying. It, they'd done a lot of interviews of CEOs and, uh, and I have a new job. So I was <laughs> reading up on how to do it. And uh, that was part of what prompted me to kind of put together the list of, of different books over your career of what's helpful at different times. Yeah. And I mean, I was one of those people who asked you um, <laughs> what books uh, I should read. And a lot of these were on there. Some of them were new. Uh, this was several years ago. Um, you mentioned that you kind of went back through books. And so there are some that you go back to again and mm -hmm. again. I mean, what would you say are some of the best takeaways from some of these books for somebody earlier in their career? Um, you know, I think of a lot of these books as, well, there's a couple of things. I, you can always gain something from reading through these books, but the books will mean something different at different points in your career. You know, um, you know, we talk a lot about in our business, we talk a lot about communicating effectively. And part of it is, is sending information, writing a book. And part of it is receiving. And some of these you're not always, it doesn't always land before you're in that zone. You know, I think of, uh, the people in our company who are moving from, um, from a, an associate role where they're kind of executing on day-to-day -day work to a management role where they're leading teams and, most of them will say, wow, this is a lot harder than it looks. I had no idea. And I think, I think that's true of the book. So I, I kind of think through some of these as like a companion to your career and you'll see different things in them over time, you know, but I would say that the, the books, they should illuminate things that you see in your work every day and what that looks like, you know? Um, I mean, just some of the things that I think about, uh, that 
have cropped up. You know, we, um, uh, you know, I have Jack Welch's uh, winning on here, which she wrote with uh, Susie Welch. He, um, uh, you know, when I was in business school, he was one of my professors and he, um, and I remember him talking about, and it's outlined in this book. I remember him talking about, um, you know, values in a company. Um, and he articulated it as he talked about it in terms of habits. And I've always, I always thought that that was a, a, a particularly effective way of thinking through values is that, you know, we've all been in companies where like there's some motto written on the wall Mm -hmm. or whatever. And that may or may not conform to people how they experience the work or how the company actually works and that sort of stuff. I mean, I'm sure that I'm sure Enron had values, corporate values that, that, that weren't lived out. Right. Jack always talked about it as, as habits in the sense of, um, you know, what does it look like in a, in day-to-day practice? What are the behaviors that people should exhibit and how do we think about that and why? And I've always felt, found that to be kind of a useful frame. Like another example from, Neil Irwin's book, um, which was how do I forget how to win in a winner take all world, mm-hmm. um, which we, you know, HPS actually collaborated with Neil. We did, uh, he, um, he interviewed one of our alums for it. We talked to him a lot about some of the stuff that we do here, but his articulation, and I think he did this research in part with, um, LinkedIn, but his articulation from a career progression perspective of like a lattice framework of career, which is to say seeing one industry or one business from multiple different angles is the path to success within companies. I think is, I think that there's a lot of value in that, in, in understanding that, okay, seeing a business from the finance perspective, seeing a business from the marketing perspective, um, sales and client service, it gives you a more holistic understanding of the business and what the different mechanisms and interplays are that, that become value over time. There's a ton of those types of little nuggets that you get as you read through these. Um, so, you know, those are, uh, those are two that kind of jumped to mind. Yeah. And, and I think that that's an interesting point too, because you look at a whole big stack of books and you think, okay, this is really intimidating. How do I get through all of these? Um, and, and even there might be five nuggets in one book that are really going to stick yeah. with you, but do you have to read that whole book? Do you have any kind of tactics that you think about to, to get through books? Do you speed read? Do you skim? I, How do so, you do that? Yeah. So, um, one, I write in my books. Um, what not typically, typically for like nonfiction, I don't typically notate, uh, fiction when I'm reading fiction. Um, but I write in my books, so I will underline passages. I'll make comments on passages. I will dog ear pages for stuff that I might want to return to. It depends on the book, but I typically find that the, the better books have more dog ears and the ones that I didn't get as much out of don't. Um, so I do that, which makes it, which, you know, there in theory, I think that there's better retention, but also it helps you refer back to stuff that you want to kind of revisit or think about again. Um, And then the other thing with, with business books and with nonfiction books is that I think you can go faster when you read them. You know, I will, 
I will read part. What I typically find myself doing is I'll read parts in depth that are new to me, and then I'll f- skim or move faster through sections that are kind of stuff that I know or have read about somewhere else, that type of thing. So, I mean, the nice thing is that while it's a big pile is that as you read more and more books, the books tend to go quicker because even though, you know, there's a, there's obviously a lot of great writing out there is that there's, you know, there are ideas that have been done before. And so you don't, you don't kind of need to dwell on every last aspect of it. Yeah. I was back in my copy of the McKinsey way, which is also on Matt's book list. And, um, I had read somewhere that Bill Gates writes in the, um, kind of front cover Mm -hmm. as he's going through. And I had done that for this and basically everything you need to know about the book was that I needed to know about the book was in kind of those first two um, cover pages. And I went back and skimmed it yesterday and was like, wow, I I still use this stuff every day, um, which is really helpful and and definitely worth the time. Um, So before this conversation, I did Google the top new year's resolutions for 2023 and um, reading more (laughs) was not on (laughs) the list. Um, So why do you think people should prioritize these kind of books um, as a part of their sort of yearly look ahead? Well, look, you know, one, one uh, like business concept that I, I don't know is in any of these books, but, but is <laughs> maybe, or is or certainly you'll run across it if you read enough business books is the um, Eisenhower leadership matrix, you know, the, the, about what is important versus what is urgent. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that uh, reading about business falls squarely into the important and not urgent category. Right. So um, I think that the especially as you kind of progress in your career at the beginning of your career where you are, you know, occupied by more tactical stuff. And, and there's certainly as, um, examples of that in this reading list. As you go on, you have to kind of have more of a macro conception of business and like how things work and come together. And I think books are a helpful way to kind of continue your education and think about those wrestle through the problems that you're dealing with every day. Yeah. And in your tweet thread, you you alluded to how these books offer MBA level knowledge at kind of a Starbucks a week sort of price tag. So, I mean, um, and and, and I had asked you, should I go get my MBA? You said, read these books first and then we we should talk about it. and what's your take on when should someone go get an MBA? Like, what, what, what's the difference between reading a book list and and then going to school? You know, you have to. So unlike, for example, a law degree, you don't need an MBA to practice business. So there's nothing that requires that. I think that there's a I mean, you know, in business school world, typically people think about uh, MBAs, uh, in two frames. One is a career switching exercise and two is a credentialing exercise. Um, and there are certain worlds like consulting or investment banking or places like that, where the track is that you do a couple of years after undergrad, you go back to business school, you come back in an elevated role. It's part of like the career development progression. I think, you know, but there's, but there's also examples of, of, you know, I don't think startup world in general has historically valued MBAs particularly highly. So it depends on the industry that you're in. Um, and then ultimately, it probably 
And, and if you want to switch industries, it can be a good tool for some of that stuff. So like if you're in marketing and you want to go into finance, it's a, it's a good way to make that jump in ways that otherwise people might not give you a look. Yeah. If you can make it through the accounting chapter in the 10 day MBA, maybe you should go. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I did not make it through that. Chapter. That's all right. <laughs> um, I, you know, I would, and all of that, I would say in general is that, you know, in your career, as you're thinking about it, you want to have a understanding of whether you're learning in your role and at your company, whether there's another role that you could learn at. But that's fundamentally what it's about, right, is, um, you know, the other thing that an MBA gives you is the discipline to go learn because someone's grading you and you're paying for it, right? So, um, you know, there's not, not everyone is like an autodidact and can just kind of consume reams of books. Um, and, you know, and then within uh, MBAs too, is that there's obviously the network and the people that you meet and the different experiences you have, that's all of value, but it kind of, you know, uh, it obviously depends on the person. Okay. So I want to take this from sort of people earlier mid-career to, you know, more um, experienced professionals. You recently became the president of Penta. Was there anything you read old or new that you found particularly helpful as, you know, you've taken on this new role? Yeah. I mean, I read through uh, CEO Excellence and dog-eared a lot of it. I thought it was good. You know, as an example, um, you know, one of, I mean, there's a couple of things that they, uh, that they had talked about just as examples of stuff, stuff that struck me is one uh, is the importance of, uh, a cadence to the year when it, within an organization, right? So um, both in terms of meetings and in terms of seasonality, you know, you can even think about, about it within um, our company of there's a time that we do recruiting. There's a time that we do reviews. There's a time that's very focused on business development. There's kind of these, these cycles to the year that help provide structure to the entire company and connectivity. Um, and likewise, underlying that, you know, one thing that I would think about that that we've put some thought into and work on is that, you know, organiz- people can get preoccupied by organizational design and how a given company is structured. Um, and rightly so, it's important. Um, but, you know, the other thing that kind of goes along with that is that most people who think about organizational design would say, you don't do that with, you don't engage in organizational design without an understanding of the people and the talent, right? Because a structure that doesn't fit the people isn't a great structure and people can get preoccupied by like the, oh, that what's the ideal structure for this? I would add to that is the, the um, rhythm of meetings that occur within an organization. It's not just the organizational design, but it's the um, meeting rhythm and how those, how the interaction with people, what that cycle looks like is really important too. Um, that was something that the book referenced that uh, that we've been trying to implement as we've kind of combined the companies and thought about this. Yeah. And I mean, at, at Penta, we're focused on sort of stakeholder solutions, mm-hmm. um, better understanding and, and engagement with the many stakeholders that businesses have. Yeah. So as CEOs of other companies start looking ahead to 2023, um, thinking about how the broader environment and zeitgeist has just changed very rapidly over time, what should they be thinking about? What should they be reading? Um, 
what 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 would you advise me to them? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, um, you know, I had mentioned Alan Murray's book on here, which is a, a little bit more of a narrative than a how-to. But as I was think, as I've been thinking about kind of um, the trend engaging with stakeholders, it's interesting. There's a lot of discussion around, um, you know, Friedman's purpose of a corporation, the BRT um, update to the purpose of a corporation. If you actually go back further, um, you know, Peter Drucker in, it might have been the 50s, had, uh, who was kind of, he he is an early pioneer of the business book uh, as a, you know, popular way of, for businesses to think about their companies and all this sort of stuff. They, he articulated the purpose of a business is to create a customer. Um, and I actually think that's a very interesting frame um, because, you know, he would, I, I would say that he would kind of frame it as you have a, you have something that you were offering and you have someone who actually wants to buy it. And the question of profit in that context becomes a question of not really purpose, but of a measurement of the purpose, right? So I thought that, w- I as I was looking through some of that stuff and we've been thinking about what, what the the work that we do with clients on stakeholders. Um, I thought about that, you know, but even within these books, I think that a lot of, a lot of this stuff relates to uh, time horizons and what you're solving for over what time horizon. And, um, you know, if, if you, like we just, we just witnessed over the holiday stretch, the experience of Southwest with, um, uh, with their, that, the debacle on canceled flights and their IT systems. And I was actually talking to my uh, dad about this over the holidays as, as uh, we were doing family travel and whatnot. And, um, you know, the thing that I said to him is I, I, the, the IT system that undergirds the functioning of the airline is not one of those sexy things that the CEO gets praised for or rewarded for by, analysts on earnings calls or, or any of that sort of stuff. Um, but if you extend the time horizon long enough and you don't refresh your IT base, this is what happens. And so I think when you think about kind of some of the discussions around stakeholders and how you manage stakeholders, you have to think about time horizon because you can kind of, you know, you can deprioritize anything on a short enough time horizon, but kind of back to the Eisenhower matrix over time, things like this become really, really important and all of a sudden become this kind of moment of truth where either you deliver or you don't deliver. Well, it's, it's also foundational, right? To yeah. have a IT infrastructure and going back to kind of the Jack Welch values piece that you were talking about earlier, those are foundational pieces for businesses and getting them right yeah. is important for the long-term success of any company. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so thinking about, Wrapping it up here, two questions. What are your daily must-reads, and what do you read for fun? Ooh, uh, good questions. Um, I read a lot. Uh, so, um, I don't know, my daily must-reads that are routine. I, I read um, I read Mike Allen's tip sheet daily. Um, I We also uh, get the hard copy of the Wall Street Journal at home, so I will probably flip through that in the morning. Um, I, um, for, 
so th- those are kind of my routines. I mean, we have within our company, we have like tons of just information flow. So just even trying to keep on top of that is it's just, it's a constant flow of information. So almost more than kind of what's my daily must read. I, I would say that like thinking about how I prioritize information consumption is a big deal. Um, for fun. So, uh, right now I'm reading, uh, Ted Chang's, um, Exhalation, which is a collection of short stories. He is a kind of science fiction writer, but it's with a little bit of a twist. He, he was the one who wrote the short story that, uh, inspired Arrival. Um, so he's a good read. It it definitely makes you think differently about stuff. There was a, um, (laughs) the story that the story that I was listening to as I was uh, coming in on the drive this morning was about, um, from the perspective of a parrot and the parrot was irritated because, um, humans were spending all this time trying to contact alien civilizations, but no one talked to the parrot and the parrot was like, I, we speak. Why aren't you, why are you talking to us? Anyway, um, I read that. I recently did, um, I recently, uh, got the Libby app. Um, oh yeah. Do you use that? Oh yeah. So I've had, I, I guess, need to renew my library card. So I'm yeah, I've had it. So I've had it for a little while. Um, but I've just kind of, uh, re-upped engagement with it. Cause it's got, you know, it has like all the magazines and this sort of stuff. We also do, um, uh, we do audiobooks for our kids when they're going to sleep. Okay. Um, which I don't know, maybe that's lazy parenting or maybe that's the greatest life hack ever. I, I'm not sure, but, but it, you get, you can get a lot of audiobooks on there. I, um, you know, for listeners in the DC area, uh, Montgomery County and uh, Fairfax and Arlington and Alexandria all have reciprocal library privileges with DC. So you can actually sign up for like six or seven libraries on Libby, which actually makes it easier to go hack through what books are available or audiobooks are available. It makes it a little easier. So I've been, I've been doing some of that lately. Well, on that pro tip and parents <laughs> are aliens, we <laughs> should wrap things up. Uh, Matt, been a great conversation. Thanks for joining the show. For more episodes of What's at Stake, subscribe to the Penta Podcast channel wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter at PentaGRP or our website at pentagroup.co. I'm Andrea Christensen. Thanks for listening to What's at Stake.